Hey, we're so glad you're here. You can be seated. Look at someone, tell them that you're glad that they are here. I want to also welcome those of you who are worshiping with us on the online platforms, regardless of what platform you're connecting on and what day of the week you're worshiping with us. So grateful that you're connected with us as well to honor Jesus, to grow in the Word of God together today. Hey, if you have your Bibles with you today, church fam, turn or click to Ezekiel chapter 28 or Isaiah 14, a couple of the first passages that we will dig into. And while you're turning there, just a couple of uh, family business items that I want to do and just appreciate some of the ways that God is moving at Rev City and uh, just so, so thankful and grateful, so humbled to be a part of what God's doing here um, in this church, the way he's, he's just graced us and the way he's provided for us, the way that he's growing and adding to us. Last week, we had our Rev City new members luncheon and over, and, well, 39, exactly, 39 families attended that luncheon to become a part of the family of God at Rev City Church. That's exciting. That's exciting. And listen, we're, we're pretty low on formalities like that. I mean, we've just really encouraged people, come on, jump in, begin to participate, begin to partner with us as we're advancing the kingdom and preaching the gospel. And we don't make a big deal out of church membership or anything like that. So here's what I know is that there's a lot of people beyond those 39 who have stepped in are just actively serving and giving and loving and helping us to declare the gospel and expand the gospel. So it's just really cool to see God moving in our midst. And we wanna honor and appreciate those of you who were a part of that luncheon. Um, if you're here today and you were a part of that luncheon last week, would you just stand to your feet? We just wanna pray over you and just celebrate you and come on, give them a hand, give thanks for their lives and for the future they have. And, Hey, would you extend your hands towards them and let's just give thanks for them and declare God's blessing over their lives. Lord, thank you for these precious people. And Lord, thank you for what a privilege it is to welcome to the family of God known as Rev City Church. Lord, I just pray that this season of just connecting to a new church family would be a, just a fresh season, Lord, of growing in their faith and discovering friendships and discovering what it feels and looks like to be a part of a spiritual family that's centered around Christ and being built on the word of God. And we welcome them with joy. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be a blessing to them, Lord. I pray that they would be strengthened and encouraged in their personal faith, in their personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ through this church family in Jesus' mighty name. And come on, all God's people said with a shout, amen, amen. God bless you. We love you. We're grateful for you. Listen, we'll have another one of those coming up in April. If you have been a Bart for a while and you just missed the one we had last week or you're just now connecting with us, we would love to have you at that luncheon as well coming up in April. Hey, before we dig into God's word, there's also something that the Lord really put on my heart to share with you, encourage you in uh, this morning. And, you know, I really believe that if we look around, we could all agree pretty quickly, pretty easily that there is a moving away in great numbers from the, from the, the concepts and the, and the embracing of biblical truth in our culture. And in fact, there's now an active opposition against biblical truth or anything that stands with biblical morality. And, and listen, I, I, I appreciate um, the opportunity that I have to stand behind this pulpit and I seek the Lord fervently for what he would have for me to share with you, encourage you in, and I believe that this is something that deserves attention from the pulpit of our church. And I'm hopeful and prayerful that this is something that will begin to be spoken from the behind pulpits of many churches who are standing on the word of God and encouraging people to shine the light of Jesus. We as the people of God must rediscover our voice to speak into the things of our culture from our pulpits and from our pews. And there's a bill that's being considered. It's already passed the House. It's now being considered in the Senate. House Resolution Number 5, more commonly known as the Equality Act. And listen, when you think about something just known as the Equality Act, then it seems like we should all be able to rally around that. And let me just make a statement. Everyone, regardless of their background, their race, their sexual orientation, deserves to be treated equally. Everyone is loved. Everyone deserves opportunity. Let's just establish that. But if you dig into what this bill has tied within it, there are some things that are actually very perilous and very dangerous to people of faith and institutions of faith. There's a desire to strip away religious liberty and the ability of churches, private schools, hospitals that are built on constructs of faith from being able to apply their faith values towards the decisions that they make on behalf of their organization. Where the rubber meets the road are things like this. For a, for a church to begin to 
to what we previously had the protection to do, which is apply faith values to our hiring decisions as to who we would want to hire to lead our children's ministry. Those decisions under this act would begin to be viewed as discriminatory if we elected to hire someone that doesn't align with, or we elected not to hire someone that doesn't align with our worldview and the way that we interpret biblical morality. And I'm just telling you, that's a slippery slope. And it's one big step towards labeling anything that, that lines up with biblical morality as hate speech. And I'm just telling you, I've been preaching on it for the last month. God loves every person right where they are. But I'm thankful that he loved me too much to leave me where I was lost in my sin. And we need to be the people of God that do what Ephesians 4 instructs us to do as the people of God. And that's me prepared to speak the truth in love. And it is not love to leave people lost in their confusion or their sin. And we can love people, we can love the sinner, but we don't have to love the sin. We can point to a biblical truth. We can use the Bible as the moral compass of our lives. How many of you believe that that's what we need to see restored to our marriages, our homes, our families, our churches, and our nation? It's true, we need an awakening. And there's some other things that, that, that are underway that really just even befuddle common sense. I mean, I'm just telling you, there's a step back. There's a lot of it that's being done in the name of progress, but I think some of the things that are happening, we'll look back and we'll realize it was anything but progress. And allowing biological males to begin to compete for scholarships that women's sports teams, that women have earned the right to begin to compete for, that, that's a step backward in my book. Allowing 18-year-old biological males who identify as females to have access to girls' locker rooms in middle school and high school, that is wrong. It is not a good decision. It is not progress. It's a step backwards. And listen, I'm just telling you, we can love the people who have been swept up or caught up in the confusion, but we must discover our voice and stand for biblical truth and morality. Someone ought to say amen. amen. So listen, here's what I'm encouraging you to do is I'm encouraging you to pray but I'm also encouraging you to step up and to speak up. I'm encouraging you to contact our senators. Contact the senators that are maybe some of the swing votes that might determine some of this legislation. Let your voice be heard. Encourage them with your perspective. Ask them to fight for religious liberty and freedom. Even as we fight for equal rights and treatment of people, we, we can agree on those things, but it doesn't have to go to the extent of the stripping away or the removal of religious liberty and protected free speech. There's no way that, that those two things have to happen in conjunction with one another. And so can we pray, even as uh, before we get into the word of God today, can we join in praying for our nation? Because the Bible says this, that if my people, that's you and that's me, will humble ourselves, turn from our wicked ways, seek his face, he will hear from heaven and he will heal, heal our land. And so let's pray and let's ask God to do what only he can do. As we do our part, we pray, we turn, and we speak the truth in love to the culture around us that desperately needs Jesus. Father, we thank you for um, the opportunity to know you. Lord, for people who are dealing with confusion, Lord, for people who are lost in sin, we recognize that but for the grace of God, there would, we would be right in that same situation. Lord, we're not angry at people. We just see an agenda, Lord, that is moving in our country and is pushing us away from biblical truth and morality. And Father, we lift up our country and we pray, Lord, that there would be a great awakening of righteousness, God. We pray that the people of God, men and women of God, young people would begin to rediscover their voice, to love people, but to also speak the truth of God's word over their lives in a way that offers them the same hope that we've received, the opportunity to be set free from some things and begin to live in a way that you can bless. And Lord, I pray for our country, I pray for our nation, Lord. We, we commit to do today in this service and in an ongoing way what your word says, Lord, that we just spoke of, to humble ourselves, to turn from our wicked ways and to call upon your name. And as we do that, Lord, we pray that you would come and do what only you can do to heal our land, to hear from heaven. And Lord, there's some things where it even seems impossible or improbable, but we know that you are the God of miracles. Nothing is impossible for you, even the things that seem impossible with man. So help us to have faith, Lord, that there's hope for our nation. There's hope for our families. There's hope for our future. We love you and we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, come on with a shout of praise. Say amen, 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 amen. Well, thank you for giving me the time to speak into that. And I pray that you'll just take it, search it out for yourself. And be obedient to what the Lord calls you to do as part of that plea to you today. All right, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel chapter 28. We're going to continue this morning. Actually, we're going to finish up our series called The Greatest of These. 
the greatest of these. And in these last few weeks, especially leading up to the Super Bowl, come on, there was all kinds of talk about who's the GOAT, the greatest of all time, the greatest quarterback, the greatest championship competitor, the greatest sports team, the greatest franchise. Who is the greatest of all time? Here's the thing we've discovered is that the Bible is filled with truths, principles, and concepts that are all great, but the Bible itself even reveals to us that amongst all the truth of the Bible, there are some things that the Bible describes as the greatest of these. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, has been an anchor scripture for the series, and it says this, faith, hope, and love, these three remain, but the greatest, someone say greatest, greatest. of these is love. And listen, I've encouraged us that living this out is important. It's important to the heart of God. It's an important part of your mandate, your mission to be a Christ follower. And how many know that's what we're called to be? Disciples of Jesus, followers of Christ. We're more than just church members or attenders. And watch what the Bible says. It says in 1 Peter 4 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Come on, who's grateful for that promise from God's word? John 13, 35 says this, by this, Everyone will know that you are my disciples. And how many know that this sounds like something we ought to pay attention to? And it says, by this you'll be known as a Christ follower disciple if you what? Love one another. Faith, hope, and love. These three things remain, but the greatest of these, the goat, the greatest of all time is love. The religious teachers of the day were attempting to trap and trick Jesus, and they came around him and they said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in all of the law? And Jesus replied in verse 37 of Matthew 22, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Another version includes the word strength, all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Somebody say greatest. And he said the second is like it, that you will love your neighbor as yourself. But the greatest command is to love God with all your mind all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And he said, the entirety of the law and the prophets, in other words, all the Bible can be summed up in those two statements. Love God with everything you have and love the people around you the way that you love yourself. There are many ways that we can love God. The Bible clearly gives us some some instructions about how we can love God, loving our neighbor, serving others, keeping God's commands, all things that the Bible instructs us are ways that we can actively express our love to God. But today I want to talk to you about one of the things that I feel is one of the most important issues to living this love life, to expressing our love towards God. One of the most important things that I could ever preach on, one of the most important things that you could ever grab a hold of and begin to live out in your life. And listen, I know I say that a lot. (laughs) Maybe every other week, you know, I say, this is one of the most important things that you could ever grab a hold of. But listen, If I was you, I wouldn't want to go to a church where everything that the pastor preached on, he didn't think was important enough for you to hear that he wants to speak on it. And so it's all true. I want to talk to you today about one of the most important things, again, for you to hear, embrace, grab on, and begin to live out in your life. And that's the call as a man or a woman of God to be a worshiper of God. A worshiper of God. A worshiper of God. There's a lot of ways that we can love God. There's a lot of ways that we can worship God. In fact, in June, we're planning a conference that we're gonna invite all of you to who wanna make a difference in your workplace, whether you own the company or you're just starting out at the bottom rung of the ladder, and we're calling it Work as Worship. There's a lot of ways. Your work, the way you work, and the way that you're faithful to the things that God has called you to, the way you treat your spouse, the, the way you impact the community, all those things are acts of worship to God. But today, I wanna talk to you about praise and worship that invitation, that opportunity, and actually even that biblical command for us to worship God with our song, with our voice, with our words, with our hands, through our kneeling, through our dancing, through our shouting, through our singing. And listen, a few songs before the sermon is not just something that a preacher came up with to warm up the crowd for his message. (laughs) It's a a command from the Bible. All throughout the Bible, I just picked a few. Psalm 100 says, shout for joy, To the Lord, all the earth, all the earth. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, that includes you. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Psalm 95.1 says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. You might say, but Pastor T, you haven't heard me sing. (laughs) Or you haven't heard my husband sing or my wife sing. Don't, this is not a good time to elbow them, by the way. But hey, listen, if that's true, because listen, it's not about the song. We, we, we sang about it this morning. 
more than a song. You're looking deeper within. You're looking into my heart. It doesn't matter if you have the voice of an angel. What matters is your willingness to express your love to God. And listen, there's a scripture for you guys as well that, don't, that aren't gifted to, to sing as well. It says this, Psalm 98, 4, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. <laughs> it's more than just a way to warm up a crowd for the message. It's the call of God on you and on me and on us as the people of God to be worshipers, to be praisers, to sing, to shout, to dance, to worship God, to honor, to express our love to him. Because how many know that love is a verb? Love is an action. Love is intended to be expressed. In fact, that's a good way to sum up worship, that worship is our love expressed to God in response to the grace of God. In response to the grace of God. It's not that we have a thing about getting together and having a song session. It's because we're a people who have been set apart, who have been called, who have been saved, who have been healed, who have been rescued, who have been redeemed, who have been restored. And we are gathering together. And what we do, what we sing, the way we love, the way we serve, the way we give, the way we love is our expression of love to God in response to the grace of God. All right, that takes us to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. I know we prayed earlier over our nation and over some of the things that are going on in our nation, but would you allow me to pray over the word this morning? And I'll, I'll pray over us corporately, but right where you are, pray individually over your specific circumstances, your unique situations, whatever you're going through today. I believe that God wants to speak to you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to heal or restore you today. And so come on, let's pray. I'll pray corporately, but right where you are, man of God, would you pray? Would you ask the Lord to speak to you? Do all those things that we just said, strengthen you, bring hope, bring courage. Woman of God, same for you. Would you pray and ask God to come and, and speak to you? Let's, let's not fall into the trap of just a few songs and a message. Let's realize that God wants to speak to us. And Lord, so let's just begin to pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity. What a privilege it is to be gathered in the house of God with the people of God and to be able to visit the promises of God. Thank you for your presence that we've already encountered in worship, Lord, and some of the, the freedom and hope and strength that you've already begun to stir in our lives and in our hearts, Lord, the hope that you began to, Lord, cause us to revisit, Lord, because of your goodness and your faithfulness, your love that endures forever. But, Lord, in this moment, as we dig into your word, God, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of every man, woman, and young person. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal the heart of the Father. I pray that you would reveal more of your heart and your word and your way and your will towards us, God. Lord, anyone... Anyone in this room, anyone joining online, Lord, I pray that anyone who is hurting, God, anyone who is weak or weary or wounded, God, in any area of their life, Lord, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, God, even physically, Lord, we thank you that you would bring healing to, to physical things, Lord, even sicknesses, sickness and disease today, Lord, in your presence, Lord, as we're just encountering you today, Lord, that you would bring strength, hope, healing, freedom, courage, God, to us as your people. We open our hearts to hear, to receive, to grab on to everything that you speak, and to go forth from this place, applying it in our lives for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, and come on, every one of God's precious people said, amen, 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 amen. amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 14. And I want to answer the question, why worship? Why worship? Why is it important that as a man of God, as a woman of God, why is it important that I worship? Isaiah 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, we find the two biblical accounts of the fall of Lucifer. And it's going to help us to see a little bit more about what's going on. There's a lot of dynamics that are at play. And I hope you'll see something that will really help you to understand a little bit more about why you were created to worship. Reading in verse 12 of Isaiah 14. It says, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. These are things that Lucifer was speaking and declaring in his heart. On the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Watch God's response to Lucifer, Lucifer's plan, Lucifer's thoughts to exalt himself above God, and he says, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, 
to the lowest depths of the pit. Ezekiel 28, we see the second half of the story talking about how Lucifer was created and fashioned and ordained to be the worship leader of praise in heavenly places. And it says in verse 12, Ezekiel 28, speaking of Lucifer, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, the emeralds with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes, in other words, your, your instruments, your timbrels, which are percussion instruments, your pipes, which, which is another whole big classification of instruments. It says your timbrels, your pipes, they were prepared for you on the day that you were created. You were created to worship Lucifer. You were created to be a worship leader. You were created to lead worship. That's what it's saying about this archangel known as Lucifer. And it says you were the anointed cherub who covers and I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. Speaking of this sin that we just read about in Isaiah 14, this longing, this desire to be exalted above God. And reading on, it says, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You were corrupted in your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. So Lucifer was one of three covering cherubs, one of three archangels. Gabriel was the messaging archangel. Michael was the warring archangel. And Lucifer was the worshiping archangel. God created him, gift him gifted him, called him, prepared him, and positioned him to be the worship leader of heaven, but what we just read about is he began to exalt himself. The worship that he was created to lead and to give and direct and redirect towards God, he began to lead, direct, and receive for himself. And I might, could judge him except for the fact that I am given to do the same myself. <laughs> Lucifer had fallen from heaven. The Bible says that before the fall goeth pride. That pride goes before destruction. A howdy spirit, a haughty spirit before a fall. It was pride that caused Lucifer to fall from his position and his purpose in God. And listen, no wonder that pride is a root issue of almost every sin that we face. Because there's, there's something operating here. There's a deep principle here. The, the spirit that caused Lucifer to be cast down along with the third of the angels of heaven is now operating to get us to do the same thing, to begin to turn the worship and the attention and the affection and the adoration and the all that we are called to hold for God who loved us and saved us and created us and sustained us onto other things, ourselves and things that are natural and temporal who never could deserve the worship that is due unto God. It's the struggle, it's the war that's still being waged over our lives. And it's the reason that James 4, 6 says that, that God gives grace but he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so listen, again, pride, operating in this spirit of pride that is deflecting or receiving or redirecting worship that is intended to God, to ourself, or to things that are temporal and natural that are in the world around us, it's more than just bad Christian behavior. And I'm gonna make a statement that I understand is a strong statement, but it needs to be heard. It's more than just bad Christian behavior. When we are operating in the spirit of pride, we are partnering with the spirit of Lucifer. So what's the answer? How, how, how do we win this battle that, that, that's being waged in heavenly places that resulted in Lucifer being cast down with the third of the angels? Well, the simple answer sounds like it might be humility. And it's, it's right, it's a good answer, but, but then it's how does that look? How is that expressed for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ? And I wanna encourage you that I believe wholeheartedly that the weapon that God has given us to express our humility and win the battle over pride is actually worship. That worship. Worship, worship, worship. Our a willingness to overcome the pride that enters into our heart that manifests as the fear of man. What will they think? What will they say about me if I lift my hands, if I sing too loud? God forbid if I actually kind of break out in a little bit of a dance because of the joy that God has put in my heart. 
What can I really do that to a God that I cannot see in the midst of people who are looking at me? The answer to win the war over pride is going back to what was at the center of the fall, and it's redeeming and restoring worship and making sure that in our lives worship is pointed to its proper place, to the only one who ever could deserve it. That's what we see. I mean, it really is what we see all around the world, the culture around us, deflecting the attention, the affection, and the adoration of their hearts toward things that are temporal. The weapon to win the battle over pride is worship. And I want to encourage you, I've got six points that I want to encourage you with this morning that are things that we, when we begin to operate in this, when we begin to get the revelation, and that's my heart that you would have today is more than just information, you would get a revelation about why we do what we do when we gather together, and why it's important even every day of your life to be a person of praise, a person, a person of worship. And I want to encourage you with these six things that we receive. And listen, motivation matters. And, you know, Pastor Michael was talking about it in the offering devotional today, that we don't give to get. But there's an irrefutable, immutable promise of God that when we give with the proper motivation just to honor God, just to be a part of partnering with God, to further the gospel and build the kingdom, there are, the Bible is rich with promises towards those who put God first. And the same is true with our worship. It should never be a means to an end. So this deserves, these six things deserve a strong preemptive precursory statement to say we never should worship God for any other reason than just who he is and what he's done in our lives. But here's the thing is God is anything. He's a jealous God, the Bible says, but he's anything but selfish. And everything that he's designed, invited us to, called us to, or warned us against is all intended to position us to be the most blessed that we can be by him. And so when we break through that spirit of pride, that spirit of fear of man, and we begin to become worshipers of God, there are some things that inevitably and immutably, according to the word of God, begin to happen in our hearts. And number one is we receive spiritual strength. We receive spiritual strength. And I'm going to take you to two scriptures, one in the book of Psalms chapter 8 and one in Matthew chapter 21 that cite the same scripture. And it's a little deep, but it's really profound. And I feel like there's something that God can really unpack for you today. Psalm chapter 8, verse 2 says this, you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength. Come on, let the congregation say strength. strength. Silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength. Say it again, strength. strength. I want you to just get that word. Are we good? We, strength is the word that we're meditating, we're focusing on here. Turn to Matthew chapter 21 and Jesus is about to quote the same passage. This very scripture Revival's breaking out. Jesus is healing people. He's saving people. And the Bible says that the religious leaders of the day became indignant. And it says that they came to him and they said, Jesus, do you hear? Even the little children are, are speaking about your awesomeness and speaking about your praise, declaring your praise. It was so obvious to everyone that Jesus was who he said he was and he was doing the things that the Father had sent him to do. That even children, it was obvious to them that this was the Son of God, this was the Messiah, this was the Savior, and the religious leaders didn't like it because it was about to mess with what they had going on. They became indignant. They came and they said, can you see Jesus? Even the little kids are seeing what you're doing and they're starting to believe in you as the Messiah. They were having a revival in their kids' ministry. And Jesus said, he said, yeah, he said, I, 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 yes. And he said, haven't you read the scriptures though? Haven't you read? Haven't you read, haven't you seen? Haven't you been anticipating that what you read in the law in the Old Testament that it was gonna come to pass? Haven't you read the scriptures? And he says, for they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Now, he, he's, he's quoting Psalm 8 verse two that we just read that said, Children and infants will speak of your strength. And he says, haven't you read? Haven't you heard? You, will teach, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. So here's the question that we have to answer. Did Jesus misquote the Bible? It's not a trick question. The answer is no. <laughs> because he is the word. The word became flesh. Here's what he's getting at. He was forever connecting strength and praise. He was forever connecting strength and praise. 
They're synonymous in the Bible. Listen, I just want to encourage you, especially speak to the men today. Because it's felt by everyone, but I think especially in the hearts of men, that fear of man, that fear of what people will perceive, that fear of what people will think. If we get beyond ourselves and we begin to worship God the way that the Bible calls us to worship God, singing, shouting, kneeling, bowing, clapping, even dancing before the Lord, whatever the Bible says about it, we ought to endeavor to be stepping into it. But men, we tend to have this this fear, we tend to have this spirit of pride. It really is. we got to call it what it is. This spirit of pride that worries more about what people will think than what God will think. But I'm telling you today, men of God, you need to hear me. You will never be as strong. You will never be as strong to lead your wife, to lead your, your family, to lead your home, to raise your kids, to lead your business, to work in the workplace, to lead in this church or to lead in your community. You will never experience a strength like the strength you'll experience when you become found as a radical worshiper of the Lord your God. There's a strength that begins to come in those moments. And listen, I can remember what it was like when I had, I I grew up in the church, I was blessed to grow up in the church, but I was a prodigal son for sure for about five years. I I lived like a heathen, you know, I mean, I was sinning every day like there was no tomorrow. And I remember what it felt like when I came back to the Lord and I began to go back to the church that I had largely taken for granted growing up in and I began to go to worship services and I began to become a part of the college ministry. And I remember loving God. I mean, I had been saved. I had legitimately been saved. There was no doubt about it. The fruit of my life was changed. The course and the compass and the direction of my life was altered. But I remember what it felt like in that moment to feel the opposition to what I wanted to do. I wanted to love God. I wanted to worship God. I wanted to participate in what I looked around and saw taking place around me. A generation of young people who were radical for God and they were loving God with their songs and with their hands and and they were kneeling before the Lord and they were dancing before the Lord and they were excited for God, but there was this thing that was opposed and it was really me needing to deal with that issue of pride. Listen, there's a reason. I say it often, it bears repeating. Anywhere where there's power, promise, or potential in God's kingdom, you better expect that there's going to be opposition. And I'm just telling you, there's a reason that that is opposed in your life, especially as a man. Because there's some strength that the enemy doesn't want you to apprehend. There's a grace that the enemy doesn't want you to apprehend. There's something on the other side of those little steps of faith to begin to align yourself with the biblical pattern for what worship looks like and sounds like and feels like. You begin to get the courage and the faith to lift your hand. Come on, maybe it just kind of looks like this today. You know, it's like, I don't know. Is anyone looking at me? Here we go. You know, it's like riding a roller coaster for the first time. Or stepping out and beginning to just sing a little bit more demonstratively. Or, Or beginning to just in that moment where you just feel a holy reverence for God, just beginning to be willing to just kneel before the Lord as maybe others in the congregation remain standing and to begin to just find this position of humility. I'm telling you, God resists the the prideful. He gives grace to the humble. There is a grace which is the equipping and the strengthening of God to do what he's called you to do and to be who he's called you to be. Mercy is what you're no longer gonna get that you deserved. Grace is what you could never deserve and now you get the full measure of it. There's a grace, a strength that you'll find in this position that you can never find living the way that the world tells you to live, where it's dog eat dog and it's punch him in the face and stab him in the back, whatever it takes to climb the ladder of success. There's a strength that you'll find as you humble yourself before the Lord. Number two, we receive victory. We receive victory over every enemy. Second Chronicles 20 is a powerful chapter tells an amazing story about a moment where the people of Judah, the people of God, were being surrounded on all sides. Let's just let the word of God do its work. Jump in, verse, chapter, verse 2, chapter 20. And it says, messengers came and told the leader Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea, and they are already at Hezanon Tamar. And verse 3, Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news. I mean, he's just been He's just been confronted with the reality that he's being surrounded and pursued on all sides by an enemy that wants to take him out. And it says he was terrified by the news and he began to beg the Lord for guidance. And he also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. Listen, 
It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when that you encounter a situation or a circumstance where you are surrounded on all sides and the way out seems impossible and the enemy seems insurmountable. There's something that we can draw from this passage. In that moment, who or what are you going to turn to? Jehoshaphat was a godly leader in this season. He, he called the people and he said, we must seek the Lord, his hand, his way, his protection, his direction in this season, in this situation, because we're being surrounded on all sides. And you read on, it says, so the people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Verse 15, he said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. This is the Lord responding to the people of God, fasting and praying and calling upon the Lord. The word of God says that the spirit of the Lord had come upon one of the leaders of the camp. And he's speaking and saying, he's speaking and declaring, do not be afraid. Reading on verse 15. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. And you'll find them coming out through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeriel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions. Come on, say, take your position. Then stand still. Say, stand still. And watch the Lord's victory. Lastly, say victory. For he is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. He said, take your positions wouldn't it be important to find out what that position was? The position that allows God to fight your battles on your behalf. Well, we find out, verse 21. It says, the king, Jehoshaphat, appointed singers to walk ahead, to go ahead, to march beyond the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. But wait a minute, Pastor T, I thought you said they were outnumbered and overmatched and insurmountable odds. Yes, it's true. But in that moment, the position that invited the Lord, to win the battle on their behalf was the posture of praise, the position of praise. And it says, this is what they began to sing. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Catch this, verse 22. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise. Come on, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the battle, surrounded on all sides, in that moment, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The rest of the story is that they began to turn on one another and they ended up destroying themselves and the people of God never even had to lift a sword. They just had to lift their voice. It's just a matter of time. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I mean, I'm telling you, Jesus never promised us that we wouldn't run into opposition, that there wouldn't be offenses, that there wouldn't be problems or pitfalls in life. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you're gonna find yourself in a similar situation, surrounded on all sides with nowhere to run or turn. And in that moment, the question for you is, will you predetermine to walk in the position and the posture of praise? Lord, it's, I don't know the way that we're gonna get out of this. I don't know the way that the relationship is gonna be restored. I don't know the way that the debt is gonna be paid. I don't know the way that the child is gonna come back to know you, but all I know is that you have been faithful and I will continue to praise you in the midst of the storm. We receive strength, we receive victory, we receive faith. We receive faith, Psalm 34. Verse three says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Can I ask you a question? Can God really get any bigger than he already is? How do we magnify the Lord? Here's, here's the truth, he can't. Listen, he's God regardless of whether we recognize it or not. There's no way that we can make him any larger. Here's what happens when we magnify the Lord and exalt his name together. He gets bigger to you and to me, to us. And I just... I have a question for you today. What's bigger, your God or your problem? Your savior or your situation? Worship brings faith for a breakthrough because it begins to magnify the Lord in the midst of that storm, in the midst of that situation. When you go around, regardless of what you're facing, come on, real challenges, real obstacles, real interruptions, real unforeseen circumstances, real unfair things. I mean, all those things, legitimate things. But when you go around in the midst of that moment, that season, that circumstance, that situation, and you go around praising God, saying, Lord, I thank you. You are great. You are worthy to be praised. You've been faithful. Your love endures forever. You've seen me through some things. You'll see me through this thing. Listen, when you begin to go around saying, God, you are sovereign. You are, you are, you are awesome. You are powerful. And you have victory. And you, every good and perfect thing comes from you. 
you, when you go around singing those things, you begin to have a great big God and a really little devil. And I'm just telling you, it makes a world of difference. You begin to see your God as bigger than your problems. Lord, in the midst of the storm, you're worthy, you're holy, you're mighty, you love me, you're with me. And whatever I'm up against today, you are for me. We receive peace and we receive joy. Isaiah 61.3 says, to give to them beauty for ashes. In other words, in exchange for. This is, a, this is a, a, a scripture telling us about the exchange God's invited us to make. Beauty for ashes. The oil of joy in exchange for mourning. And the garment of praise in exchange for the spirit of heaviness. And I don't know about you, but in this last season, in this last year, I, I've been familiar with what it feels like to to feel like, to look up and realize that it feels like I'm wearing a heavy garment of despair. And he says, praise is the garment that you gotta choose to put on. And I gotta confess to you, there have been some things that I've walked through, even recently, some difficult things we walked through as a family, and I, I just, I, I realized that I was stubborn and prideful in my heart to kind of hang on to that spirit of heaviness that God invites me to exchange for a spirit of praise, a garment of praise. And, and listen, it, this really is true. Oftentimes we get to choose our heart. In that moment, it was hard for me to summon the grace to praise God because of the pain that I was feeling in my heart. But what I realized looking back that now I've, 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 I've Lord's helping me with it is I realized that it was even harder to carry the weight of that oppression around for the extra three or four days that I didn't have to. And, and a lot of times we, we just, we get the opportunity to choose our heart. It's hard to forgive that person, but it's even harder to carry around the weight of the unforgiveness. And so in every situation that you come to, you have the opportunity to exchange a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Lastly, I'm gonna skip ahead one point. For the sake of time, but also because I just feel like it's where the Lord's leading us to go next. And that's lastly, we are reminded when we worship, when we praise, we're reminded of the grace of God in our lives. And I wanna read a pretty good section of Luke chapter seven where we find one of the most awesome, incredible, extravagant acts of worship is commemorated by the Bible. And, and lean in, let's finish strong. This is a powerful truth and reminder. This is something that can really change your life if you'll grab a hold of this today. And it says in verse 36, Luke chapter seven, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house, this was a religious leader of the day, and he reclined at his table. And a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned or heard that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet Jesus's feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and, and kissed Jesus's feet and began to anoint and pour out the costly perfume upon them. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus over for dinner saw this, he said to himself, he didn't even say it out loud, he just perceived in his heart and thought to himself, if Jesus was a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of a woman she really was, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something for you. Didn't even have to speak it, Jesus just discerned his thoughts. And Simon said, tell me, teacher. And he said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. But neither had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. It wasn't a trick question. Jesus said, you've judged correctly. Then he turned to the woman and he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, you religious leader of the day, you, but this woman from the time I entered, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume, and not just perfume, but costly perfume upon my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. 
whoever's been forgiven much loves much. There's a spirit that's still operating in our lives today that that Pharisee was operating in, and it's the spirit that comes to us and says, who are you to think that you can raise your hands in church or lift your voice in church when I know and you know the thoughts you thought, the words you spoke, the places you went, the things you did just last week. And I'm telling you that this passage right here tears down and defeats that spirit once and for all. Jesus is saying, Worship, worship is not a matter of us getting ourselves right enough to come before God and spend time with God. Worship is love expressed by those who have been reached by my grace. And listen, it's true, whenever we deserve God the least is when we need him the most. You had a bad week, you lost your temper, you lost your cool, dealt with lustful thoughts, whatever it was for you, the enemy would try to say, yeah, maybe uh, maybe that would be kind of hypocritical for you to go to church and just act like nothing ever happened and lift your hands and sing those songs and connect with those people. I'm telling you, that's the moment that you need to be in this place the most. In the place where strength is restored, in the place where the grace of God is renewed because there are mercies that are new every morning. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Listen, it's not an excuse to sin. Paul was clear about that. We've received the grace of God, so we want to start growing in God. But I'm telling you, don't let the enemy speak to you the lies and deceptions that are commonly used by him to cause you to shrink back or hold back from the people of God or the presence of God. Jesus says, in the midst of your sin, come to me, come to me. I want to welcome you back. I want to welcome you home. I want to wash you anew. I want to cleanse you from that thing. I want to get you back on track. I want to strengthen you once again. I want you to encounter my presence. In the moment you deserve me the least, you need me the most. And listen, it's true. When you see me over here and I'm lifting my hands and I'm worshiping and maybe even I'm kind of doing kind of the extent of dancing that I'll do in church because I'm very white and I have very little rhythm, you know, and I, I just kind of get going like this a little bit, you know. I'm, you don't want me to dance any more than that because, because children start crying, dogs start howling, people get hurt, and some people will probably even leave the church, you know. <laughs> But you see me over worshiping God and just thanking him and going, can I tell you, I'm not doing it because I'm a pastor. I'm doing it because I'm a sinner. And I know what many of you don't know that God rescued me out of a life of addiction. God rescued me out of a place where I was in and out of jail over a series of years as a teenager. I, 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 I know what's possible. I know what my life would look like, but not for the grace of God. That's the reason that I worship. I'm just so aware of just how amazing and radical his grace is in my life. Just stand to your feet. Let's respond to God. Let's respond to God. And let's prepare our hearts to worship, maybe with just a little deeper revelation and maybe just a little stronger commitment to just give him the glory that's due to his name and to maybe overcome or step out of that pride or fear of man, what others might think about you. As we sing, as we lift our hands, as, as we lean into God, as we bow before him, as we honor and appreciate him and give him the glory that's due only to him. But before we go there, before we worship and before we dismiss it, the most important thing that we do every time we gather is give people the opportunity to rededicate or give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, you might be here today and maybe you're like me, like I was. You maybe were raised to know God, were maybe even in the church, but you're what the Bible would describe as a prodigal son or daughter. You've drifted from God. You've made some bad decisions, poor choices. You've gone and tried to do it in your own strength, your own way. Listen, if that's you, whether you're in this room or joining us online, we believe with all of our heart that you are not here and you are not hearing this by accident. It is because of the heart of a good father who created you, loved you, and has even been sustaining you through that season. And now he's calling you, he's longing for you, he's inviting you, he's beckoning you, he's waiting with arms wide open to welcome you out of that life, back to a life that transcends religion, a life of relationship with him, intimacy with him. Purchase with a price that you could never pay, the blood of Jesus. Or maybe you've never experienced, maybe you've never experienced what it feels like to give your life to Jesus. Have the weight of sin, guilt, shame, 
condemnation that the enemy uses to try to beat us up and hold us back, lift it off of you the way you can never do in your own strength. That's the message of the gospel. That's the reason that Jesus came. Not for religious people who think they're right with God, but for desperate, hopeless, lost people who finally get to a place where they realize they need Jesus in their life. And listen, if that's you, prodigal son or daughter, or never having given your life to Jesus right now, I want to give you a moment to respond. And I want to ask you right now just to lift your hand high towards heaven. Do not delay. This is a critical moment for you. We're not going to ask you to step out. We're not going to embarrass you right now. We just want you to respond towards, towards God by, with the lifting of your holy hand. An outward sign of something that God's doing on the inside of your life. And even if you're joining us remotely online, we believe it would be important for you to lift your hand to, high towards heaven. You're not responding to a person or a preacher. You're responding to a, your heavenly father. And Lord, I just thank you. Thank you for these precious people. Thank you for these hands that are being lifted and the hearts that they represent. And come on, church, we're going we're gonna to worship here in a moment, but let's, let's finish strong. Let's pray this prayer. And we do it together corporately as a family every week for a couple of reasons. One is to quickly just come alongside these precious people who are responding to Jesus, coming home to him to just quickly show them there's a church family that wants to come around them and surround them and encourage them, help them, minister to them and, and, and just see them begin to step forward in their new or fresh faith with Jesus. And two is we pray it every week because it reminds us that even as we're growing, maturing in our faith, that we still need the grace of God. We never graduate from grace. So come on, pray it with maybe a fresh fervency in your heart. Repeat after me and say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a savior. Oh, I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could not pay, to make a way I might find a new life and a fresh start. I give you my life and I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, I'll never be the same. Come on, say it again, I'll never be the same. And then lift your voices to celebrate with all of heaven the precious people who came home to him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hey, come on, let's worship the Lord together one more time today. And can I encourage you, maybe just take a step. Just take a step. Just take a step. Just what's it look like for you to just grow as a worshiper, even in this moment, in this song, just to declare that God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our song today. Come on, let's sing together.